In this podcast, health coach and yoga teacher Kate Stillman interviews me after she discovered my work during a search for help with scar tissue and adhesions. So a lot of the podcast is the two of us discussing my protocols for reducing or dissolving scar tissue using substances like DMSO, potassium iodide, colloidal silver, and why surgery is not usually the solution for a scar tissue or adhesion issue. But we also get into my personal journey, we talk about elemental diets, and of course my favorite topic, how symptoms are actually messages from our subconscious or higher self. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Hello, this is Kate Stillman with the Thrive with Kate podcast, formerly the Yoga Healer podcast, and I'm super excited to talk to Ginny Patel Thompson today, who I ran into when searching YouTube on scar tissue, abdominal adhesions, therapies to reduce scar tissue, adhesions, strictures in the body. And Ginny's videos are awesome. She's super informed. And then I found her books. And then I found that we really have a very similar philosophy in terms of like, you are your best healer and learning how to listen and learning even some of like, what is going on? Like what's some of the terminology so that you can speak about what's going on in your body with other people and find the right search terms to type into Google to get help and watch videos on YouTube and be be more informed by the professionals because you know what stuff is called. Um, that's quite a bit of what brought me into your world, Ginny. And for those, uh, Ginny, her website, and she's got a bunch of books on, on and this whole brand around like, listen, like listen to your gut. So it's Ginny Patel Thompson, J-I-N-I-P-A-T-E-L-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. And that's where you'll find all the listen to your gut, listen to your colon. So your story, it sounds like your healing journey began with IBS, Crohn's, colon. Just take people on a quick journey of how much fun that was. (laughs) Just so much fun. Um, Yes, I was diagnosed actually with widespread Crohn's disease, which if you look at gut disorders on a spectrum, yeah, well, now we have SIBO, but before it used to be just IBS. So let's say SIBO is the very start of the continuum, and then it goes to IBS, and then diverticulitis, and then colitis, and then way over here on the end, you've got Crohn's, because Crohn's is multisystemic. Um, it's very complex. So I had a widespread case of that. It was small intestine, large intestine. And at the time I left the medical treatment protocols, the doctor suspected it had spread to my stomach as well. So that was where I came from, um, initially diagnosed at age 17, did everything the doctors told me for three years. Cause I had, I came from a whole family of doctors and scientists. I never questioned it. Oh, wow. Never, never, never. I like, didn't tell me what to do. What were your symptoms that first? Yeah. What were, what were the, I mean, I want you to go back to the beginning of like when you really from, you know, your listen to your gut perspective now look back at the earliest signs on, will you unpack that adventure to getting to that diagnosis? Um, First big sign that was probably would be the, the bowels loosening. So having more bowel movements or the bowel movements are watery. And I was like, mm, just carried on, didn't say anything to my How parents. How old were you then? I was 16. Okay. And then at the point when I had blood in my stool, I went, oh. So I let that go for a little bit. 
hoping it would clear up. And you're not telling anyone. You're just like, no, no. you're just hoping it's going to go away. Just going to go because away. Because my older brother had already been diagnosed with Crohn's a few years earlier. So I knew the blood in the stool was a very bad symptom. And I was like, I just wait to see if it goes away. It did not go away. And so at that point, I went to my um, my parents and, well, my dad is a doctor. So I went to my dad and I said, got blood in the stool. And he was like, oh. So they immediately got me into, um, I was living in Alberta at the time. They got me into the top gastroenterologist across Canada. He headed up a research team. And they knew exactly what to test for, what to look for. So my diagnosis came back very quickly. I wasn't struggling to know what's wrong. Right. Yeah. Nice. And that is largely because your brother had already gone through the whole thing and you were like, I think it's this. Yeah. Let's see if it's that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it does have three years later, you've done all the what? So I went right on the drugs, had all the exploratory tests done, uh, which are a nightmare and hugely damaging to the gut. Like yeah. Should we pause line. there about testing not being neutral? <laughs> I have on my website, if you type in colonoscopy dangers, it will pull up a free report that if you do decide you need to have a colonoscopy done, it will tell you what to do before and what to do after to minimize the damage because you can be infected with a communicable disease from the scope itself, because it is impossible for them to be sterilized. And all the data there is pulled from medical journals. So it's, and that's all in the report. Number two, the test prep alone wipes all the bacteria out of your colon. So you've heard the saying, nature abhors a vacuum. You create a vacuum in nature, nature's going to fill it. So what's a, you clear out all your bacteria, your candida, your yeast, your whatever, What's coming in afterwards to fill that void? So, you know, the post-colonoscopy is very high on therapeutic probiotics at very high dosage, very specific probiotics. So it's all in there. And I also give people a much easier, gentler test prep than the ones that I was put on. Like I was told I had not, not just a very concentrated magnesium flush. I drank an entire bottle of castor oil. I was on the toilet for nine hours, spasming and clearing before the colonoscopy. So by the time I even got to the colonoscopy, I was completely traumatized and and sensitized. Yeah, your colon was traumatized, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it's an extremely invasive procedure. Um, For me, mine was the equivalent of a rape scenario because they drugged me enough that I had no strength. But I was saying, you need to stop. And the doctor who was female said to the two male nurses, hold her down. She doesn't know what she's saying. Oh. As she continued to ram this garden hose up my belt. Like it was a total rape scenario done by a woman who was disconnected to anything. So, you know, these are the things that aren't talked about. Um, that can happen in medical settings. And we all just go, well, as the doctor said so, so it's okay. But doctors are brainwashed into an extreme uh, dissociation and disrespect for the physical body. And they themselves are abused and traumatized as part of their pre-med and med training. Because my brother's a medical geneticist. He would tell me what would happen in med school. He would come home and, and I'd be like, this is psychotic. 
you know, so we have a we have a perfect storm that feedback loops upon itself. And so then that leaves just you to say, you know, what I say to my readers when they say my doctor's telling me I have to have another colonoscopy, I say, ask your doctor, will the knowledge from this test change the course of treatment? And if so, how? And if the doctor says, well, no, you're already doing everything you can do, but we just want to check and make sure there's nothing worse. That's not worth the damage you're going to incur and the time it's going to take to heal from the colonoscopy, in my opinion. Unless Are there other ways to see polyps and stuff? Because that's a big reason people get like, can you just see them via like a ultrasound? Because they can see so much right now via ultrasound. Like I go to, you know, neuromuscular skeletal doctors for athletic injuries and they're doing injections via ultrasound because they can tell what's going on in, in pretty deep tissue. But what I haven't seen, and so yes, there are certainly improved uh, other tests that you can do. But and that also, are less invasive than a colonoscopy. It's like my what I've never seen. Have you ever seen the data on the incidence of polyps in a 100% healthy person that never has right. had? No, no, never will? no, I've never like, seen where anything, that, but data? I imagine, right. Because right. what they do have the data from, because they were testing the new capsule endoscopy, which is where you swallow a camera. Yeah. So for that's a new technology. So they ran a trial with controls and guess what they found? What? For people with completely healthy guts who'd never had anything happen, there was a, a more than 50% of them had some intestinal wounding, ulceration, abrasion, because the intestines are the same cells that are on your lips and your skin. So guess what happens? Like, think about your mouth. If you bite your tongue, how fast yeah. does your tongue heal? Yeah. Super fast. It's mucosal yeah. tissue, very yeah. fast healing. So it's a part of the body that's in a constant state of flux. Yeah. It's like, oh, my intestines are perfect. And they're perfect 24, 7, 365 days a year. No, because what did you eat? How much acid? Did you have alcohol? What drugs did you take? Like aspirin, anyone? Like the yeah. intestinal lining is continually being wounded, abraded, you know, ulcerated, and it heals. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is a normal part. So at what point do we say, because we have a new testing protocol, right. well, this is a problem. Right. And right. that's, again, so there, there's, I don't want to tell anyone how to manage their health, but what I say is just do your research, get the data. If you, like my parents are 86 and 79, and they both felt we want to have it. And my mom's father died of colon cancer. So she said, we, I feel in my gut, I need to have a colonoscopy. I'm like, fine, here's the colonoscopy report with the pre and post. She and my dad followed it. Both of them have been completely fine after their colonoscopy. No infection, no post-infection, no escalation of symptoms, no nothing. So you can definitely like, but again, it's that, that leading protocol too. I mean, cause my dad who my dad and I have Lynch syndrome. So we were supposed to get colonoscopies annually or more. And, uh, right. <laughs> and it, and I, I saw it coming with him. I'm like, you've got like one, like your next colonoscopy, like you're, that's it. Like your gut microbiome is not going to come back. Like gonna, I, I and he went one. right over the cliff and it was like, and he didn't even realize it. And I didn't see him until five weeks after. And I had, kind of blipped on my own busy life and but he got back up here five weeks and I'm like looking at him like what is going on I'm like when was your last colonoscopy and it was like five weeks before and the infection was actually respiratory mm -hmm. right because it doesn't have to be at the site of the location it's like the whole immune system's like so down you can catch anything yep yep yeah 
And your dad is from the generation, probably the last generation that has a strong microbiome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're, now it's a, yeah. Because the microbiome is not just your mother, it's your mother's mother. So you, you, so for us, like we have to do a lot of work in our, in our generations and, and, you know, to, to keep our, our gut strong. So how many times can you assault that before the body goes, okay. And for, you know, our kids, for our kids, they're, they're the weakest, you know, childhood, the rates of childhood chronic illness. Well, that's not right. Yeah. Right. And well, yeah, on the data on that, right. It's like they're on drugs for allergies, asthma, and ectopic dermatitis. So all the, all the immune that goes with microbiome damage. Okay. I want, I want to talk about scar tissue, especially for people that have had operations in their abdomen. So that could be, I mean, there's a lot of different operations in the abdomen. We've got hernias, we've got the appendix, we've got colon related surgeries, we've got small intestine related surgeries, we've got all even even um, like femoral blocks that they do to operate on the legs, like where they're putting a deep needle in that can create some adhesions and scar tissue and then nervous system damage, nerve damage, et cetera. So what did you, how did you run into the whole scar tissue, abdominal strictures? Like, cause you, you created content on those keywords. I'm just super curious about your own, was it more through your clients, more through you and, and what do you, yeah. and what do you tell people to do so once they every, know what they have? <laughs> everything that I come up with is self-motivated. It's like, I have it. Sometimes or like what a member of my family has it. So I'm super motivated and I've got a test subject who's willing to try everything. So the scar tissue protocols came about because I, from that early period where I was doing what the doctors told me, I had what they call perianal skin tags. So these are just like polyps, like the skin just grows these growths that nobody knows why. And they're in the perianal area. So the doctor said, well, to do the biopsy on these for cancer, it's the same procedure as to remove them. So why don't we just remove them? And I'm like, okay, because I'm in fully in the thing and I don't think about anything. I don't know anything at that point. So I have this incredibly invasive surgery where, again, they don't tell you anything. They had actually attached pulleys to my ankles and strung me up this way to get to the rectum. Well, I had a knee injury that I just spent two years rehabbing with intensive physio. Did they ask me about my knees or hips? No. Did they tell me they were going to string me up like a cattle being slaughtered? No, they just went ahead. So then the whole, so anyway, that's another side. Anyway, they removed these perianal skin tags for which they cut through the nerves of the spinal column in the rectum, which is like, so they're going to have to do super, super potent drugs just to get through the pain for the next three weeks and blah, blah, blah. They cut them off. Six months later, they're all back. And there was no cancer. And so that was, that was my so own. They didn't biopsy at first. They're just like, the biopsy is the removal. The removal they is said, the biopsy. They said it's the same surgery. It's just a little yeah. bit more. So why don't we just yeah. remove them? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. 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 sounds reasonable yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm young. I don't know anything. So anyway, they promptly grew back. Um, but as a result of that surgery, I now had scar tissue at in I, all inside my anus, right? 
So, cause they had to actually cut into the, the anal wall to remove these, these skin tags. So then over time, as you know, with scar tissue, because it doesn't stretch and it doesn't, and stress affects all the entire GI tract. So you've got contraction in the rectum and then anyway, so then you can have, and then of course the Crohn's disease was active at the same time. So I'm getting repeated anal fissures that are tearing, healing, tearing, healing. So now I've got so much scar tissue. Because those create scar tissue too, the tear and heal. Yeah, yeah. So we have the surgery as the main scar tissue. And then the surgery created the tearing and healing too. So because the, like, how am I supposed to have a bowel movement now? The fissures, is that, because I'm so curious, is like the more we understand biofilms and dysbiosis and, and eubiosis and gut bacteria that are, you know, eubiotic versus dysbiotic and that there's a connection with like the dysbiotic like dysbiosis and fibrosis and scar tissue do you think of the scar tissue in a way especially in terms of the anal figure fissures as like a dysbiotic biofilm at the level of like almost turning into a fibrotic bony tissue um it didn't feel bony but it mm -hmm. definitely was fibrotic i mean that's the essence of scar tissue right, right. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's almost like more like cartilage than like bone, but it's more like bone, like scar tissue to me seems more like bone than other types of tissue, like in Ayurveda, Astidatu, it seems most like that or almost like diatomaceous earth, right? Where you've got that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, when I feel into it intuitively for myself, I, I'm not, I'm not resonating with bone. But I mean, why couldn't yeah. that be individual? And well, I think it's like the, collagen and connective like tissue. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which all the same minerals are involved in yeah. that formation as in bone formation. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's, yeah. but it gets to the point, right? Where it's not allowing things. It's so hard. So if we look at Ayurveda too, like the quality of hardness yeah. creates this, entrapment or the stricture where like there's the absence of fluidity right in the yes in the, yes it's in your anus it's like and, it's and from so the crones like healthy bone healthy yeah healthy bone is not very it's very spongy it's got a lot of resilience yeah you're gonna totally. you're gonna this is not that that's what i mean it's like a dysbiotic biofilm that's like mimicking that level of tissue Yes. So I get to the point where I've got such a buildup of scar tissue in my rectum that my stool is the size of a pencil. That's the now, so imagine your, your bowels are now, so now I'm, I'm healed from Crohn's. So I'm all healthy. And so wait, how are you healed from Crohn's? Like the medications working or what? Oh no, no, God, no. I, I did it all through natural healing. It, I got to a point after three years, that I was like, I'm going to heal myself or I'm going to die trying because I'm not going to live like this. The, the GI had told me, you're never going to hold a job. You'll be in and out of the hospital the rest of your life. You won't be able to have kids, but at least you'll qualify for disability. So you won't be lacking for money. You won't be like on the streets and whatever. And I was like, that's not who I am. I was like, I'll heal myself or, or I'll die trying, but that's, that's, I'm going this way. And that's the motivation that I needed to completely leave the medical system and and go and find my own way. 
Was your family encouraging or discouraging from that? Um, sorry about that. I'm in my husband's office and I don't know how this stuff works. Um, they, I had been someone who'd always been very self-directed and my family knew that. And so they, I think they just, there's something in them that was like, oh, that would be something Jeannie would do. <laughs> it would be a normal thing for Jeannie to go, I'm out, I'm done, I'm finding another way. That's cool that they didn't, it sounds like they didn't give you resistance that they weren't like, you should be doing it, like they weren't doing that. No, no. And also um, my grandmother, who is on my dad's side, who is Indian, traditional Hindi Indian, she had because they she at 16 she was married and went to Kenya so they didn't have any medical care there so she was using Ayurvedic remedies my dad's whole childhood mm -hmm. for whatever happened they almost never had to go to a doctor because she had the Ayurvedic remedies she had eight children and she was able to heal whatever went wrong right yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, incredible Eight. Yeah. So my dad already. That's a few. That's a little bit of life experience. Yeah. And my dad had grown up with that. Right. So yeah. I think there was something in him that was like, yeah, because obviously my brother, don't forget, had been diagnosed. Yeah. He had already had a surgery or two by this point. Like he was continuing to stay in the med system and and we were looking at him going, well, obviously this doesn't work. So when I said, I'm 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 out, I'm done, I'm going to go do something different. There was no kickback whatsoever. That's awesome. And and that took me seven years to figure out how to heal myself. Um, but and then that led to my first book because people kept saying, can you please write a book about it? Can you please share your methods? So anyway, I'm I've been healed. My so while I was ill, I had chronic diarrhea. So then the rectal scar tissue was not a problem. Yeah. After I was healed and my I could not make my bowel movements unhealthy. <laughs> That's when the stricture was a problem. So now it can take me up to two hours to have a bowel movement because I'm shitting through an opening the size of a pencil. So that was the motivation that I was like, okay, now I have to figure out how to heal this because I am not going for anal dilation. Guess what? Literature says creates more scar tissue. I'm not going for sphincterectomy. Guess what? Literature says creates more scar tissue. So every option that, the, again, that the medical industry had or anybody had created more scar tissue. And then there's the thing of, you know, that you, well, you can use gradually expanding sizes to gradually stretch it. And you can start with your fingers and gradually stretch it. So I did a little bit of that. And I'm like, this is going to take forever. This is going to just. And it feels forever. like burning, tearing when you're stretching it or not. You can tell. Yeah. 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 I mean, unless you were to go like super slowly and then yeah. what? In you got to tear years? it apart a bit. In 10 but not years, too much, managed, right? Yeah. You've managed to stretch it two millimeters. Like what? So that's when I went back to my, you know, my spidey sense medicine woman way that I work. And I was like, Hey, and I need to find a solution. I need to heal this. And so a lot, and that took me two years of research and trial and experimentation and, um, and a lot of intuitive guidance. So I came up with this protocol that I still, I call it experimental because some of the substances are, are banned for usage. 
um, like DMSO, you know, anything super effective, the pharmaceutical industry is going to patent it and then ban it for everything else. And that's what's happened with DMSO. Um, and so in urine, I mean, if we throw that in there, urine's on the studies on urine are amazing. I mean, urea softens tissue and uric acid is the strongest antioxidant in the body. So, yeah, exactly. So I, but to, to not get censored and completely blocked, I say, oh, this is experimental, but my people have been using yeah. this, this therapy for, we're now in year 10. And, um, so you so for depending on where your scar tissue is, you either there's a topical formula that you apply. So you mix together DMSO, super saturated potassium iodide, colloidal silver. And then if you have aloe vera juice or access to it, you use that because that just helps ameliorate the harshness of the other ingredients. But if not, you just use water. Um, and then so for topical application, you apply that, you let it dry, then you do castor oil, organic cold pressed castor oil, and then you do a heat pack on it. So you do that top. Yeah, you're you're feeling it. You're like, oh, yeah. I've done it. I mean, I've done it all, but I but also with aged urine. I'll just say that because yeah. me, aged urine and DMSO have so many similar properties in terms of the solvent and penetration. Because right, they can both just like penetrate, penetrate, penetrate. And that's what you need if you're going to turn something from, you know, like a connective tissue, rocky fascia layer into pliable human tissue again. I really like that you've done that experimentation because I'm just thinking about, you know, if DMSO gets hard to get a hold of. Wow. We have to start out. stockpiling five gallon jugs of DMSO to have a life science supply for all of our favorite people. Yeah. Or, or can you sub out for aged urine? You can, but there's something with the, the DMSO is like an activator. It's, and they you synergize. The other thing is methylene blue. So I'm doing that in the enemas as well. Not topical methylene blue because it'll turn you blue. But that's wild. The colon just drinks it and it oxidizes free radicals, kind of like DMSO, like kind of like everything else. Okay. Well, I haven't, I haven't. Like the aged urine does that too, right? Oxidizes gotcha. the free radicals. Well, <laughs> so yeah. for the protocol that I use to heal myself and that yeah. I developed, yeah. so there's a topical. But so for rectal administration, yeah. you can either make those into suppository form, but what works better is to have it as a liquid with a dropper bottle. And again, the dilutions are really important because if you use too much, you're going to damage the tissue and you're going to, it's going to heal. Yeah, exactly. So again, you have to be really tuned into your own body. And as you know, with DMSO, the darker your skin, the higher concentration of DMSO you can tolerate. Redheads have to be the most careful. Um, so you really have to listen. And, and also what I find is, you know, everyone's healing journey is unique. So again, just that listening to your own body, letting it guide you, increasing the dilution, seeing how your body does. No, it doesn't like that. Or does it like it three times a week with a rest day in between? And it wants the higher dilution, but it needs the rest day. And on the rest day, you're, you're applying castor oil or a cocoa butter suppository or comfrey, like something really healing in the day in between. Like this is the dance where everyone, if you can enter that dance with your own body, you will have the most potent 
speediest healing. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. so for my readers, a lot of them have intestinal strictures and this puts them on the surgery hamster wheel because you have an instruct intestinal stricture that then starts to narrow until it's smaller than the size of a pencil. Well, how is food going to get through? Then you're into a blockage and obstruction. Now you're into a possible emergency situation, blah, blah, blah. So the medical treatment for that is when your stricture gets severe you go in for surgery, they cut out the strictured part, they join it together. Guess what happens at the new joinage point? Scar tissue. So you're on the hamster wheel now of repeated surgery, repeated strictures, repeated scar tissue over and over again. How do you get off that? Well, you get off it by using an internal formula that you drink and the external topical. So um, my own brother, who he works at one of the big hospitals here in Vancouver. He had a strong fibrotic stricture and he was scheduled for surgery. So he was desperate. And I said, well, I got this experimental protocol. He goes, I'll do it. I'll try it. Try anything. I really don't want to have surgery again. This would have been his third or fourth. I really don't want to have surgery again. So I gave it to him. He did the oral protocol. He did the, he said, I cannot lie down long enough to do. He goes, God forbid I should nurture my inner child by giving myself that time to read. He was like, oh, seriously. He's like, I can go in for surgery. This is the mindset. I can't stop working, but I can go in for surgery. Yeah, exactly. And that's my brother. He's like fully aware, but then he won't change. So anyway, what he would do is have a hot shower, apply the formula and the castor oil And by the time that was dried, he put on his shirt and go to work. So that's, he would not lie down with a heat pack. He's like, nope, can't go there. He just did that. He did it for nine weeks. And then he was scheduled for his pre-surgery colonoscopy. So he goes in and they find nothing. So he's telling me about it. He's like, I'm lying there on, on the gurney. He goes, my doctor calls in three other doctors they're standing around my bed. They're trying to figure out what happened. He goes, yeah, where to go? Where to go? He's like, I'm not saying nothing. Because, you know, he didn't say anything. He did. You know what happens to doctors who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he's like, I'm not saying a word. And so their conclusion was, well, the initial ultrasound and screening must have been incorrect. Maybe there was an adhesion <laughs> where the intestine had stuck and clumped together to an adjacent tissue. And we diagnosed that as a stricture, but there actually wasn't one because not only was there no stricture, they biopsied for Crohn's in the small and large intestine and there was none. Wow. So they were like, Phew. my brother was like, I'm not saying a word. Wow. So, so <clears throat> the thing too, I just want to kind of unpack like the, how these things form and how do I know if I have one sort of thing? It seems like dysbiosis can form scar tissue. So just not having a strong gut and colon microbiome is enough. It's not like you need colonoscopies or surgeries. Like you could just have, you could just have dysbiosis, which could lead to that whole spectrum of like IBS to Crohn's, which can then create the scar tissue. So even people who haven't been procedured if we turn that into a verb or operated on could still have some of these, you know, whatever it's like lack of ability to digest, absorb, eliminate, or, or even have nerve entrapment or leg pain due to adhesions. 
Hmm. Yes. Adhesions could form. I don't think you'd, just from dysbiosis, I haven't seen or heard of a stricture inside the intestine just from that. But I mean, we've never had people with guts as bad as we have now. Well, and I mean, because we're even seeing, we're even seeing it in the female reproductive system with the scar tissues. Yes. The scar tissue that forms there that can just can form from dysbiosis in the vaginal tract. Yeah. And joints, right? Like those bacteria, like bacteria, like people are like, oh, bacteria is in my gut. No, your, your whole body is connected. Whatever's in your gut is everywhere, you know? So yeah, sure. Why not? So how do, so for you with your members, how do most people finally figure out that what they have is a, well, actually there's two things I want to say before I ask that question about how do people find out is from a doctor's diagnosis or is it from there's searching from this and that, and they start to put together, I have abdominal adhesions from reading stuff on the internet. But before I say that, I, I was on a bike ride around Spain a couple of weeks ago with a family friend, like family friends. And the older gentleman was a gastroenterologist by profession. And then he went into pharmaceuticals and he was, he's been retired now for a decade. And so we were talking about this topic and he was telling me about trying to cut like trying to cut only the scar tissue in the gi tract and not and like because if you nick anything important right you're at sepsis so how he's like it's impossible he's like there's no reason anyone should ever have the surgery because it's impossible to help with the surgery it just and that creates more scar tissue that right there is what prompted me to leave the medical treatment protocols because this was before the internet And the doctors, they were suspecting it had spread to my stomach. They were pretty much insisting that I have surgery. So I went to that GI and I said, I need more information because I'm just sicker and sicker every single day. I've been doing everything you guys tell me Mm. every day I'm worse. So he loads me up with a stack of textbooks and his latest research reports thinks, oh yeah, cute girl. I take it home. I read everything. And I'm like, oh my God, they don't know what this is. They don't know how to heal it. They're just trying to keep people alive. And then in his textbooks was the data that when surgery is performed to remove infected tissue, the disease jumps to a minimum of three new sites. So it's exactly what the GI told you. As soon as you open up, as soon as you cut into the intestines, you're creating a bigger problem. So yeah, you're keeping the person alive in that moment, but you're setting them up for three times increased And you're making some money. I mean, and you're making some money. (laughs) Okay. So how do your people find out that this is what they have, that they have adhesions or strictures? Um, Most of them have had some kind of medical diagnosis or information. And then they go back to the doctor. So they either had, they had, maybe they had a surgery or they have IBS or Crohn's and they go back to the doctor and the doctor's like, you have abdominal strictures or abdominal. Because they have whatever exploratory test like my brother, shows okay. have a stricture and it's this size and nothing can get through and we have to operate. Got it. Got it. So it's like, that's interesting. Cause I'm, you know, I'm always curious at like what happens in the six months before the diagnosis, you know, other symptomology, et cetera. And how do people find their way to diagnoses without necessarily needing a colonoscopy or something like that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for not for strictures, but for gut diseases in general, 
Mm -hmm. about 10, 15 years ago, I started getting people who just had symptoms mm -hmm. and they had been raised within an alternative health family. Mm -hmm. so instead of going to the doctor, they were, and because the internet, now we have the internet, they were going to the internet and getting on my stuff right away, which was mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. because normally before that, the people who were coming into my stuff were people like me who'd already tried all the medical things, yeah, totally. been on all the drugs. You now have multi-systemic damage, not just from your original disease, but from the drugs and surgeries. Mm -hmm. So you get people coming in, like they're going to be taking years to heal because you can't. I have people come in who'd been on the drug and surgery wheel for 30 years. You're yeah. not going to heal that in six months. There's yeah. no way. So, but I was now getting these new people who were more alternative health minded. Mm. Yeah. They can heal in six months because they haven't been damaged further by surgery and drugs. They're already thinking in the right way. They are already open and bringing in that mind, body, soul aspect of healing. They're not just looking for the physical protocol. They understand that healing is holistic so they can actually heal very quickly. Mm. Yeah. Huge difference there. Yeah. And I just want to point people to, to Ginny's site again, to your site. And, and it sounds like the ebook that the one that we've been talking about is Ginny's, uh, sorry, Ginny's Healing Guide, Natural Treatments for Anal Stenosis and Structures, that ebook. Well, that that's the, if, you that have, the if you have rectal, if you have intestinal, I have another book called, uh, it's, again, it's Ginny's Natural Healing Guide to Intestinal Strictures. So they're all at listentoyourgut.com. If you just go to listentoyourgut.com yeah. and everything. Okay. So I'm curious about the system enzymes like serapeptase and natopeptase and lumbar kinase, because those seem to be gain like there seems to be more research on the breakdown of scar tissue with using those as supplements. They're helpful. They're helpful. And I've had a number of people test them and I, you know, test them myself. They are definitely helpful. Their efficacy varies from person to person, and mm. they are not, they won't replace the DMSO potassium iodide. No. So mm -mm. They're not it's at like that point. And. But and. they're definitely, exactly. They're an and this is helpful too. And it, it, I was thinking about it. It's like the lumbar kinase comes from earthworms. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like when I think of an earthworm, it's like, you know, it's more of a, there's no bone. It's just like all, right? It's like all like endothelial tissue. Yeah. Right. Where it's like bendy, squishy. It's like the guts. Yeah. Like our gut is like Absolutely. an earthworm. Absolutely. I'm like, oh, that's interesting that that seems to be able to break down the fibers of the fibrotic tissue. Yeah. The resonance there, right? Just. Yeah. yeah. So when I noticed on one hand and then a piece of intestine in another, you would be like, wow, these are really similar. Like there's so many points of resonance between these two. Yeah. Between these things. So that kind of just makes sense on a common sense level. So what I noticed with doing the DMSO, the aged urine, the methylene blue, the castor oil, baking soda, doing enemas with that and some fresh and aged urine, right? Uh, when I added, it's like I would add something and then something else would happen. And I like ran so many experiments.
But what I started to see every now and then when I'd hit a stronger dosage of something or add something else in like the lumbar kinase, I would have like, it looked like in the potty, this will be TMI for two, for some of you, but it like looked like a dysbiotic biofilm where it was like this hazy, not quite a gel, but it's totally a community. Um, and the, it almost looked like looking at diatoms or like diatomaceous earth, like, like just this, it, it looked like die off of fibrosis. Like there's no better way of saying it. Like it looked like the fibrotic tissue got like just literally dismantled and flushed. Wow. Cool. I know. It's like, but it's so funny when you look at this stuff on the web and the research, like there's so much good stuff in the research and then where that actually interfaces with literature that people can understand, it goes to zero really fast. Yeah, I think that's why I really wanted to have you on here and promote your guides and your work because I think for people who are trying to understand what they can experiment with, what other people who do experiment are experimenting with, what people who have real bodies are doing, who are healers or witches or whatever we are, you know, natural medicine people, like as experts and as self-experts, like what are we actually, what are we actually doing? What are the substances we're actually using? Yeah. Most of these substances, it sounds like you're on the, like most of these substances are like less than $20 for, you know, a half gallon, <laughs> you know, when you probably price out castor oil and methylene blue and DMSO and urine's free. Baking yeah. soda is close to free. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, when you compare it to the cost of drug or surgical therapy, there's no, there's no comparison whatsoever. It just, it's what, what I would like to continually point out is what you just talked about. You were like, I ran so many experiments and I tried this and I tried that. And you're always tuning in and you're listening to your body and you're checking with your body. And that is what true healing is all about. It's about you coming into that dialogue, that deep communication where you can access your own body wisdom. And so that for me is, is the huge point of a healing journey. Mm. And if everybody can develop that, right, combined with a huge, a much bigger medicine bag of tools. <laughs> so for me, what I, cause what, you know, during the whole COVID debacle, what I kept hearing from people was this insane level of fear. And why was the fear there? Because their only option would be to go to a hospital. Mm. I'm like, this is this is so not good that you have nothing in your medicine bag at home. This has to change. Right. And so what right. I did on my site on listentoyourgut.com, I have a tab called Home Remedies that has a drop-down list. Now, everything that I've developed protocols for, from UTIs to acne, that has been tried and tested, not just by my extended family, but by tens and thousands of readers mm -hmm. on that tab, in that drop-down menu, it's all free. So this is not just like a, you know, you buy a herbal book and they'll be like, oh, to do this. And they give you like seven herbs and you're like, but what's the one? <laughs> what's yeah. the one that works? Cause I got a kid and they're sick and they're, that's yeah. the difference between a compendium of herbal or homeopathic healing knowledge and what I'm offering. I'm offering the stuff that is tried and tested by thousands of people start here. 
And then yeah. from there, also, you develop your own body wisdom. You bring in other substances that you want to try and test. But these protocols, yeah. they actually work. And the more fluency you have with those, you your fear starts to disappear. Yeah. Because you, I have people from Africa email me. I've healed myself just using your free stuff. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. That's what I'm all about. It's like spreading that knowledge so that wherever you are, you can heal whatever is happening. Yeah. Let's talk about the your elemental diet. Hmm. So that is in the context of scar tissue. That's when you get to a point where your obstruction is so severe that you can't eat normal food, right? So now you're on liquids. Well, if you're already underweight or you don't have excess weight and you move to liquids, you are going to become malnourished fairly quickly. So an elemental diet, so it's used for people with strictures, um, intestinal hemorrhaging, because if you have actual bleeding wounded tissue in your gut and you eat normal food, it rips those wounds. Those wounds can't heal. So this produces something called bowel rest. If you have diverticulitis and you have inflamed infected pockets, again, you can't eat normal food. So an elemental diet is useful for two things. The first one is bowel rest. So for all those conditions I just talked about. And the second one is as a microbiome reset. Mm because it's the fastest way to do it. So it's number one, it's really expensive because this, you know, my, the shakes that I formulated again, from my own need, Mm -hmm. I had mercury poisoning. This is way back in the day when we didn't understand what happened when you removed your mercury fillings. (laughs) So now you get your mercury fillings removed. You're on a detox schedule. You're on IV vitamin C. You do them a little bit at a time. No, I had 10 removed in one week with no detox or intravenous support. My, a year later when I had testing for mercury poisoning, it was still off the charts. It was so high. So as a result of all that mercury dumping into my bloodstream, I started hemorrhaging from my colon. So I wasn't hemorrhaging from Crohn's disease, which I'd already healed. Now I'm hemorrhaging from mercury poisoning. Oh my gosh. So that put me in a state where, I mean, it was just, so fast the decline was and actually then had a near-death experience because I bled out and blah 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 but the good thing is that I came back and I developed this elemental shake product that I call absorb plus um and it's used for these instances where people are in extreme disease conditions or extremely like there's nothing because you can use food-based shakes right like you can put um black bananas and yogurt and whip them in a blender and drink that. The yogurt, like if you hand culture your home culture, your yogurt with black bananas, so the carbs are pre-digested, that'll give you a microbiome reset. That'll give you um, a relief to your digestive system. But the difference between an elemental diet where everything is pre-digested, it's in your bloodstream in 20 minutes. And there's 43 ingredients, including trace minerals and all the amino acids. And there's like, there's a whole lot more wisdom in the formulation of that product. So I used it in that state. I I bled out and I was 99 pounds at five foot seven. And I couldn't get up and walk across the room and back. That's how weak I was. And seven, six weeks later, I was 135 pounds of muscle. 
I was cycling to the gym three times a week and working out with weights. Six. Wow. Yeah. And you, how long were you on the diet for? Was it, did you stay on? I did seven weeks. I did seven weeks just to make sure. And then you you wean. So, and then there's a whole protocol. So that's in my book called the IBD remission diet, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't just the elemental shakes. I was also adding a lot of mucosal healing supplements. Again, the high dose therapeutic probiotics and to this day, Natron is the only brand that I recommend. And I have a whole probiotic report on why. Um, but that's the that's the one to, again, massively rapidly repopulate the gut microbiome. But in this day and age where we have so many assaults on our health coming, it takes a lot longer. So this is the other interesting thing that hasn't been present in previous generations. It takes a lot longer to repopulate your microbiome today. Like, let's say before you could do it, if you did a month of intensive supplementation, now you're looking at a year. Yeah, I was reading, I was reading uh, this Native American book, and he was describing how when they'd kill a buffalo, like the, they would rip open the intestines and eat some of the intestine with the liver raw. Right. And you're like, okay, that was, you know, primal humans 200 years ago. And now we're like buying bags of Doritos and, you know, donuts at the grocery store or whatever. I mean, there's like, or we're buying probiotics in bottles and, you know, getting some organic food at the grocery store. I mean, it's like so night and day if we just look at the sheer bacterial count and viral load that like co-arose with the species. And now we're at, I mean, Michael Pollan's work, right? Like humans eating 30 species or less of plants in an annual basis. It's just like, there's no comparison to the type or not even getting dirt or not even, I mean, a lot of my research with on inflamed went into like looking at the connection between soil manure and human hands, essentially, like human exposure to just working your hands in manure and dirt, and then yes. some of it gets on your skin, and then and you inhale, inhale it. it. Yeah. yeah, totally. So the cow dung juice, so in India, like FYI, this is wild. So in India, they've used cow dung juice forever, forever, for at least for thousands of years to like wash down areas, like before mm-hmm. a birth before a ritual, before a holiday, right? So it's like using the cow as the, well, cow pathy, right? So you have this like beautiful word, like holy shit, like literally holy shit, right? From the holy cow. <laughs> and now yeah, we're so disconnected from that, right? Like okay. everything's like okay. pre-washed and but, yeah. Okay, so they used the cow. Yeah. What environment was that cow in? What was that cow eating? What was that cow's microbiome? Because then now look what we've done to the environment and the yeah, soil. Yeah, yeah. So totally. maybe that was a good idea then. It may not be a good idea now. Well, I would say if it, it does speak to biodynamic and organic farming, which involves cows. Exactly. Into the ecosystem. So yeah. your cow has to come from an environment from a regenerative or permaculture farmer. Absolutely. So then you're increasing demand, right? Now it's an, now our microbiome problem is actually an ecological problem with an ecological solution. So now we're tied personal health to planet. 
Exactly. And you, you, the, the clearest illustration of this is, so I, two years ago, we bought 160 acres of, it's wilderness land. It's surrounded on three sides by what we call in Canada, crown land, which is owned by the government and you, no one lives there. And, but the previous owner had overgrazed the land with cows for 15 years solid, just from overgrazing. So he had the poop, he had the manure, but it was the species density was too intense. So here's what happens. I put my horses on there and I give my horses free choice minerals and free choice salt. They are hoovering the minerals. And I've had these horses for seven years, so I know how much minerals they needed in this yeah, other location. Yeah, yeah. But by the way, the other location had rested for seven years after the last cows were on it. So whatever deficiencies were present on that land with the soil, Mother Nature had already healed. Wow. I knew what my horse's normal intake of minerals were. And I moved them to this supposedly pristine wilderness land. And they are just, the minerals are flying out. They are consuming so much. So that's a, a really great parallel for us as humans. Like when people are going, why do we need all these supplements? And why do we, because of what we've done to the earth. Yeah, totally. I do so much wildcrafting because I also live near the forest. And the, uh, you know, when we look at these phytochemicals that are in wild plants and they're if we look at the ayurvedic taste of sweet sour salty bitter pungent and astringent right and when you eat wild food you're like wow that's bitter oh i got astringent oh wow there's a pungent kick to the, you know and it you feel the cycle and it's so obvious like when i was first studying ayurveda i'm like how did we know a carrot is like earth element and you know sweet taste and blah 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 right compared to and just like all this analysis of food but when you go back to that food was wild and there's there's so much phytochemical exchange even the strawberries in my garden they taste like real strawberries the strawberries at the grocery store don't right like there's just it completely different flavor complexity yeah, to exactly. that yeah exactly. okay and, so um, yeah no go ahead which for your garden i'm sure with your knowledge you're going to be growing in very microbiology, microbiologically active, densely populated soil. And that's going to make all the difference. Well, and what I've really started to notice since, so I got into one of my members in yoga health coaching. Uh, one of my members was asking me a couple of years ago about like, what do you know about Shivambu? And I was like, what? Because I hadn't come across a book in Shivambu in like 20 years. And I learned a little bit about diagnostics in urine from Ayurveda, but not as, not really as medicine. Right. And so then I, I, I started reading every book on it and experimenting with it. But now I like I find, especially now that it's summertime and we're in our growth season, it's just adding adding urine into water and watering the plants. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so easy to garden. It's like so like I'm not a green thumb, like I'm not, you know, I didn't was not raised by farmers. Uh, but wow, it's so interesting when you start to see that whole elemental cycle, right, where it's like, oh, we release elements. It's not a one-way street. Everything's a cycle. Like exactly. everything's renewal. Everything's microbiome. Exactly. This has been so much fun to hang out with you and talk with you about strictures and give people that maybe are in pain or know of people that have had quite a few. I mean, I just want to say anyone listening, if you know of people that have had a colon surgery or who've had intestinal surgery or stomach surgery or pelvis hysterectomy 
anything yeah. in anything in the pelvis, anything in the prostate, like anything down there, anything in the middle. Yeah. Like you've got some of this and it might be causing symptoms that can go away that maybe you've lived with for a long time or this person's lived with and they just think it's them. And that's how it has to be, but it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it does not. I, I I just firmly believe in my own experience. I'm like, you can heal anything, everything yeah. possible. Yeah, even cancer. Everything like it's body not... wisdom. Yeah. Lead you there. Yeah. And there's so it's so cool to see. I mean, even when you start researching, like who's talking about DMSO, like who's using, like there's this great guy. I'll try to find his link on, on YouTube who works with pets, like mostly cats and dogs, but actually all sorts of pets. I think he's also Canadian. And he talks about DMSO in like every other episode. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I use DMSO in numerous remedies with my horses. I've not had to use it with my dogs or cats, but I use wild oregano with both, which everyone will tell you don't use essential oils with cats. Well, if your cat is has eaten an infected bird and is dying before your eyes, guess what? <laughs> Wild oregano works really well. I mean, I'm killing bacterial infection. Is that the reason? Yep. Yep. I had a cat. She she birthed kittens just a few weeks ago. And so her brother bought her a bird to eat because she wasn't hunting. She ate it and bloody stool. And you see bloody stool, you know they're infected right? This is, that's a massive infection. She stopped eating. She stopped drinking. She would just sit and watch her kittens who are crying. I'm like, and my intuition was screaming at me, wild oregano. I got, I go, I got nothing to lose. She and the kittens are going to be dead in 24 hours. So here we go. So I just took um, the wild oregano gel caps and I, and she was tiny because she'd gotten pregnant six months before we could get her spayed. Um, yeah, don't stay in before six months. And I think she was yeah. five and a half months, but anyway, so two wild oregano gel caps and I had water there waiting for her. Cause I know how it, how I, how my body reacts and got them down her. And 20 minutes later, she drank half that bowl of water and she had no water for days. And wow. an hour later she went and she nursed her kittens. And then she ate a food and she was up and running. And when we took the kittens into, because there was a local pet shop who said, yeah, we'll, we'll take the kittens and to, for homes, the vet at the pet shop said he had never in his life seen a whole litter of kittens come in with no mouth or ear infections. Before. Wow. It went straight to the like, breast milk. Breast milk. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how urine therapy works too. People often compare it to breast milk for yourself. Like they've actually seen images of like that as a ancient symbol, because you can taste it. You can taste your medicine that way. So you can control dosage. So the last thing I want to talk about with you, if you still have a minute is dosage and intuitive medicine. Cause I find that to me, that was one of the biggest jumps from being an Ayurvedic medicine practitioner. Well, first of all, having a similar health journey where it was like doctors and pills and this shit doesn't work at all. And it's making me miserable to Ayurveda, which is like, here's a formula, you know, and we were mixing our own formulas, et cetera, but we were also mixing a lot of formulas for clients. And there's this level, and for me, it really happened with urine urine therapy more than anything else because it's self-generated which is such a it's a mind fuck really with that where you're just like you can taste every 
thing. And so you can choose with greater specificity. Like there's just this level of you're upcycling your own essence. And then you're more aware when you use supplements or you use wild plants or DMSO, right? And now you're like upcycling. So you need way less dosage. A layperson's um, illustration of that is what happens when you eat asparagus. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah, 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 Yeah. totally. So for this connection of like for people who are like, just tell me what to do, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get that, like, just tell me what to do. And that's like this opposite is like, it's a journey. And your like your body has been trying to tell you what to do. I'd love to hear your response to, you know, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to eat. Just tell me, right? Just tell me exactly how much I need. Yeah. And and that mindset is the legacy of the pharmaceutical industry. Right? It's that whole thing of just okay, what's the dosage? One pill, how many times a day? Okay, and then it'll make it go away. And those are the key words just make it go away. Well, that does not allow any space for a healing journey where the body is the subconscious. The body is the densest part of the soul and therefore messaging you and communicating with you through symptoms, right? And even if you go like, take it to the most basic level, well, why do I have this disease and not some other? Why is my disease in my throat and not my knee, right? Like, again, like the, the every part of the body is speaking to you on every level. So, okay, let's say you've got something in your throat. Okay, let's go immediately to the throat chakra. What does the throat chakra represent? What is the symbology of the throat, right? So you're into vocal cords, but you're also into receiving nourishment. You're into um, the willingness to speak your truth. Your will, your, you know, there's so many things. Um, that are associated with the throat chakra. And that's where you would start, right? And then another, I have a guided meditation that I take people through, take your consciousness and place it in your throat and see what's there. Yeah. Right. Because you can, you can take your consciousness, put it in your shoulder. What's your shoulder doing? What's it saying? And that's what, the key right there is asking the question, right? It's like, you put your consciousness there, ask the question, listen. And that, that's what I love so much about your brand around listen. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the telepathy with animals and the dialogue with the physical body and the listening to your gut intuition are just different words for the same thing. It's, it's, a, it's a whole way of communicating that we think is woo woo or hard, but it's actually not. It's we're all born with it. It makes me think of like the difference between alpha and beta brainwave states versus like theta brainwave states where you're just actually at the frequency, you're asking the question, you're moving your consciousness into the frequency of healing. And then you're listening at the frequency of the body in in its theta state, not in its alpha or beta state, but it's in its like theta state. Maybe you drop into delta and then you maybe pop back into theta, but like you're in that ooey wooey and it is wooey. Like it's not alpha. It's not all geared up. It's not all like, right. It's like, but you're in there and it is woo woo in there. And, and, and you get these messages and you don't trust them because you, like you said, the intuitive medicine has been trained out of you by the companies that turned you into a consumer. And so now there's this like, but wait, what if, like, what if I, what if I, what if I honor whatever 
comes through. Yeah. Whatever picture flashes in my brain, whatever idea pops in at that moment, whatever. And and a good way to look at it is that the conscious analytical, logical brain is like this. Hello, (laughs) talking to you. Right. And then that intuitive telepathic is like a whisper. You're like, what? What'd you say? And then the more you listen to it, the whisper gets a little bit stronger and the pictures get a little bit clearer. But in the beginning, they can just be like, and then, but you have to trust that first flash and you have to say, okay, I trust that I did see that or receive that or hear that, or that idea came for a reason. Let's explore that. Why might that be? Yeah. My newest phrase is notice what I'm noticing or notice what you're noticing. Like just that. And it, when you were speaking about it, it reminded me of in the Vedic, well, in the Vedic pathogenesis, right? You have these five koshas or these five layers and the intuitive body is between the bliss body and the mental emotional body. So like the chatterbox mind is mono and then the vijnana is intuitive and then ananda, right, is the subtle bliss. And it's like, it is increasingly subtle. And my guess is, is they were just naming brainwave states. <laughs> you know, so like alpha beta yeah, is mono, point, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. And then delta is more like ananda where you're just, or gamma, you're probably in gamma. Yeah, you're gamma. You're like delta gamma probably in that. Huh. And if you switch to that viewpoint, yeah. you switch out of the mindset of, okay, there's just this thing that's torturing me or annoying me or is wrong and I just need to fix it too. My body is speaking to me for my highest good. What is it saying? Because what's the point? The point, your body doesn't need to self-injure you. The point is you're not understanding something through your normal method of living your life or your normal methods of listening. So the higher self has to use the body because you can't ignore the physical body. The discomfort alone or the seriousness and it escalates, right? Yeah. So that's why you go, I have this, I'm just going to cut it out. It's like, okay, well, good luck with that. Because now you put out the message. Do you think your higher self is just- And the scar tissue and the strictures now. (laughs) Right. When this is essential for your advancement as as a soul, because that's what we're here for. We're just here to like, you know, whatever, get married, earn some money, pop out some babies, die. Like that's ridiculous. We are here to co-create. We are here to evolve. We are here to have an experience of life that leads to greater illumination, greater knowledge, greater freedom, right? So when you reframe it all there and then you say, okay, my body is speaking to me. Yeah. Let's move into this wonderful opportunity because this is going to take me, this is going to lead me, albeit kicking and screaming and with a great deal of discomfort. But if there was another way, I would have done it. But yeah, there isn't another way. There so this is the way. Yeah. And cancer, like the whole like the whole group that goes into spontaneous remission, right? There's this whole group of people that just like goes into spontaneous remission and they there's, you know, a little bit of data on that group. And what they all say is like it wasn't spontaneous. And the other thing they say is like, it was, I, w- I faced the massive wake up call in my life. There you go. Yeah. And that's why you'll so often hear from people with cancer. It was both the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. yeah. And they wouldn't, you know, like for myself, would I want to get Crohn's again? Hell no. Would, am I 
upset that I got Crohn's. Do I think that that was a mistake? Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because, and that's how you know that you walk the healing journey. When you've actually walked the healing journey and received the messages, you understand why it had to be that way. Yeah. Well, and, and then I feel like that whole part of, you know, the hero or heroine returns from the journey with gifts, right? Like with wisdom, right? And that is only useful when it's then shared. So that seems to be the feedback loop, the upcycle loop of like, why the wounded healer? Well, because it takes one to know one. It takes going on the journey, right? So if you took the same surgeon and you strapped them on the table, like you were strapped on the table and you did the surgery on the person and then afterwards they had, you know, they evaluated whether or not that was useful. That's really different than just doing surgeries that you've never done, never had done on you to other people. Right. And the wounded healer journey that we're describing with the awakening of the intuition and like the awakening of turning darkness into light happens because of walking the path. Yeah. And even now where I'm at the at the stage where I am very tuned in and I am very listening every day. Now, when I get a physical symptom, I don't even I barely even bother going to the physical level. I go straight to the metaphysical level and I tune in. And what's interesting now is that the, the things that will arise as a physical message for me are usually really complex, have multifactorial things that I'm like, okay, now, because before you might say, well, if you're capable of telepathy and intuition and, and why didn't you just receive this in a dream? Or why couldn't you just uh, to put your consciousness in your body and perceive it? Because for me, the where I'm at now, these messages are complex. So they the way to communicate that to me with the different levels and layers, I couldn't get that from a dream. I has to, for me, for the way I function, it then has to come through the physical body because, and maybe because I've worked with my body so much that that those messaging systems are very finely tuned. So I'll still, I can get the message within 24 hours and it will resolve. It'll be gone in 24 hours. Like, I'll give you an example. So I get, I developed this swelling in the lymph here, just on this side. I woke up one morning, it was swollen and black and blue. I was like, did I hit my neck? Did I, something hit me and I was unaware. It looked like it was a hematoma. And I was like, what the what? So I, and I think, okay, well, I just think it'll go away and it'll, whatever. And I leave it a little bit. It's not getting better. And it's, and so I go to my dentist and I have this whole thing 3D x-rayed because I'm like, maybe the jaw is infected and it's draining into that lymph. So he does the sinus, the jaw, everything. It's completely clear. It, every tissue related, adjunct tissue is perfectly healthy. And then my brother, the medical geneticist is over and he's like that. So my dentist tells me, you, I think you need to go get the test done for lymphoma. That's what I'm seeing. Then my brother comes over, medical geneticist, and he says, that looks just like Hodgkin's lymphoma. My buddy had it, looked exactly the same. It's super, it progresses really fast. You better get your butt in for tests. So then I go, okay, let's, why do I need to go for tests when the worst this could be is lymphoma? So why don't I just say it is lymphoma and I will heal it as lymphoma because anything else, if it's some, if it happens to be something lesser, it's going to be healed anyway. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I walk that pathway 
to heal lymphoma. And I do all the physical things that I need to do. And I do all the energy and the um, spiritual things. I go to all the different levels. And I think it took me uh, six weeks to get it, reduce it by 90% and another couple weeks for it to be completely cleared. And there was a couple pieces that I had to work with one of my horses and I did body work and I did lymph drainage. Like I did the whole mind, body, soul healing piece. Mm. And then of course the throat chakra was involved. It's on the left side of my body. That's the feminine, right? So again, going into the body, what are the actual messages? Yeah. And so I did the targeted um, metaphysical bodywork sessions with working with those structures, went into, there was a past life involved. Um, you know, I did the whole thing mm-hmm. and the whole thing was done in eight weeks, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I'm so fluent in this process. Yeah. And I, I just love that. Like, what would you do if you had the diagnosis, like the worst, scariest diagnosis for that, given all that, you know, and it, and it does speak to, like, I always say, I peddle in wisdom. It seems like you peddle in wisdom and it's like, not stuff. It's about wisdom because when you have that wisdom, you're so much more able to handle the worst case scenario without making it an emergency. You didn't make it an emergency and so much of chronic inflammatory disease, which is chronic. It's diet and lifestyle driven. And yet it's treated like an emergency. So as soon as we get the scary diagnosis, we panic, we have more stress, right? Stress is really bad for the eubiotic microbiome. It's really good for the dysbiotic microbiome, right? So it's like just the diagnosis is not neutral. Just the I was going to point that out. I was going to go, okay, and if I'd gone to the doctor and had the test, test done, And had the doctor make a pronouncement, speak a vow over me. Yeah. Like there is, like now we're into the realm of spell casting. We're into the realm of the energy of the spoken word. And that carries a whole legacy of fear. I've just gone in and said, oh yeah, give me that package to heal as well. Do I need to work with that energy? Do I need to work with the collective fear of lymphoma? No, I don't. I I don't need it. Someone else might need it because that might be their healing journey. Right. But for me, I don't need it. And and then there were elements involved where anyway, it's that would be a whole other conversation. It was very complex. It as cancer is, cancer is not a simple thing. Crohn's is not a simple thing. You have to understand. But again, now we're back, we're talking about that fluency. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Oh, I cancer whatever. Okay. Let's just heal it. It's I'm almost to the point now where I'm bored because I'm so fluent. And then I pick, which doesn't mean I don't do the work. It doesn't mean I whitewash, you know? Yeah. It just means that I don't get involved with the drama because I know that every single thing can be healed. It is hundred percent possible. So let's just go there and let's just lean in. Yeah. And, and do and and I'm also because I've walked this pathway, so I try to do my regular job, and I don't try to go. I can't take time off because I'm like I'm dropping everything. I'm moving into the healing zone. I'm dropping in. I mean, that's a, that's the thing. It's I call it returning to zero. It's like okay, the external world's out, the internal world's in. Like that's go right. in. That's right. And guess and you know what? If as part of that, I'm not getting out of bed for five days because I'm going so deep in. Yeah. Yeah. And like 
how can you do that? You run two businesses. You have three kids. I'm like, because that's what I need to do. Yeah. And how can't you? How can't you? There are no excuses. My body is in charge. If something's manifesting in my physical body, that's the only, that's the only person I'm listening to now. Yeah. Well, and it is the fastest way. I mean, that's the, that's the irony. Yeah. And it's when people go, I can't do that. I can't do that. But guess what? That I can't is part of your healing journey. Yeah. You have to walk. Totally. Give yourself permission. I matter. I, I must be number one. I will heal myself first. Like that's a whole permission, worthiness, not enough. Like all of those things come in and guess what? They need to be healed. Yeah. Well, and it's the whole consumer mindset, right? Where it's like the same people who want, you know, I hear over years having online, I've had online courses since 2007 and it's like people, oh, I really want to be in your club or your, but I, you know, all oh, the money, right? And then they'll like go on vacation or they'll like buy a car or they'll invest in, you know, in something that just is like not going to give them what they actually want. Because what they actually wanted was body wisdom. They wanted health and yeah. body wisdom, but they bought something else. And then the same, I find the same parallel with, right? It's like, I don't have time to take time off, but then it's like, it gets bad enough that you have to go to the doctor. And then there's time to go to the doctor. There's time for the medical appointments. There's time for the procedures. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's without it. And there, there's not an understanding of the choice making there. And there's not an understanding of money as energy. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just an energy. Well, we you. should, we should schedule part two and go into metaphysics. Money is energy. Ta- we'll talk about time. What is time? What is money? <laughs> what is, what is soul? We can go into the big. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to point people back to your website. So we have listen to your gut.com and that's where all those home remedies are in the elemental diet and the workshop and the books. Uh, the web, the other website is Ginny Patel Thompson.com Ginny soul sister. I'm so, so, so glad that we had, I don't know that our paths finally crossed. I can't, I kind of can't believe it's been this long. I feel like we'll do this again. So I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate you holding this space for all of us.